Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. Take your Bibles and turn over to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation 5, as we continue our study of Revelation, and we are in the throne room section. We're in the section that shows us heaven. And as we look in chapter 5, there are three things I want you to notice. I want you to notice the sealed scroll. I want you to notice a slain lamb. And I want you to notice the shouting host. Seal scroll, slain lamb, and shouting host. We have outlines available for you. If you don't have one, uh, make your way to the front and pick one up. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book, written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain. And you purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, And the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, Be blessed in honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Did you see the sealed scroll, the slain lamb, and the shouting host? First, we're looking at the sealed scroll in verses 1 through 5. As this scene develops in heaven there comes into prominence a sealed scroll. Now, who is holding 
this sealed scroll. Verse 1. Who's holding it? God. All right. I saw in the right hand of Him who sat on the throne. And we saw God on His throne in chapter 4. So it is God, the Father, who is holding this scroll, sealed with seven seals. At first, no one is found worthy to open the scroll. What is the meaning of the scroll? It's very important that we understand the meaning of the scroll if we're going to understand this entire chapter. Because it all hinges around the scroll that God is holding in His hand. It is a wheel. This was a common appearance of a wheel in John's day. Emperor Vespasian and Caesar Augustus both had wheels sealed with seven seals. But this was more than just any ordinary wheel. It was the wheel of mankind's forfeited inheritance. The wheel of mankind's forfeited inheritance. In the Old Testament Jewish law, we see that the Jewish families were given a certain amount of land when Canaan was divided. You'll read about this in Joshua, uh, how they divided up the land of Canaan and certain tribes got certain portions of the land and it was broken on down into certain families. This was their inheritance. It could be bought, it could be sold, it might even be lost. But an interesting thing happened every 50 years. In the year of Jubilee, it was called. And every 50 years, all the land went back to the original families. And so if I were preparing to buy a section of land from Paul, I would realize that if there were two years until the year of Jubilee, I would know that land was only going to be mine for two years. And so I would pay him accordingly. Unlike in our day, when you buy a piece of land, it becomes your land until you sell it. Uh, but in the Old Testament, a way of keeping things equal among the families and keeping some tribes and families from becoming too powerful, every 50 years, it would go back to the original owners. And that might be during those 50 years. It might be due to stress, loss. It might be lost due to poverty or whatever. And the losses were listed on a scroll, sealed seven times with the conditions necessary to purchase back the land written on the outside of the scroll. So if someone lost some land, uh, on that scroll would be written the conditions necessary for buying back that land, for that tribe, for that family. But not just anybody could buy back the land. And it was called redeeming the land. It had to be a qualified person. It had to be a kinsman. He had to be a person who could meet all the requirements on the outside of the scroll. This person was known as the kinsman redeemer. You remember from your knowledge of the book of Ruth that Boaz was her kinsman redeemer. Uh, And uh, in fact, he was not immediately in line, so she had to be offered to someone else for marriage before he was able to do his job. But the scroll that John sees is the will, I believe, of mankind's inheritance that man forfeited. When God created mankind and placed him on 
planet Earth, he gave him an inheritance. This inheritance was composed of three parts. First, eternal life. Adam and Eve had communion with God in the garden. They had uninterrupted fellowship with God. And eternal life is knowing God. Also, they had as part of their inheritance physical life. Scripture says God breathed into them the breath of life, and they became a living soul. A third part of their inheritance was world dominion. They were to rule over the world. The world and the animals were to be under their control, and as God's representatives, they were to be His regents on planet Earth. When Adam sinned, he forfeited this inheritance, and he did it for all mankind. Adam is called, theologians call him the federal head of the human race, which means that when Adam sinned, sin entered into the human race. He was the representative of the human race. And when he sinned, as Paul says, by one man's sin, sin entered into the human race. When Adam sinned, all of creation was affected by that sin. We call that the fall because man forfeited his inheritance. First, he lost eternal life. They were thrown out of the Garden of Eden. They lost that intimate communion with God that they had before sin. Secondly, they lost physical life. Remember what God said, if you eat of that fruit, the day you do, you shall surely die. And the moment that Adam sinned, they began to die. They became mortal. Their days on earth were numbered. And then thirdly, they lost dominion over the world. The thorns and the weeds began to grow. The animals that were tame became wild. It was no longer an idyllic state. Even the world suffers because of man's sin. Paul makes it clear in Romans 8. He even says that creation groans, waiting for the day of its redemption as well. So here we have, after Adam's sin, we have mankind forfeited the inheritance that God has given him of eternal life, physical life, and world dominion. He stands separate from God because of his sin. He stands uh, under the power of death, and he has lost dominion over the world. Now, that's bad enough, isn't it? But it gets worse. When man lost the inheritance, Satan was there to usurp it. Man, from that point on, was born spiritually dead. He was in bondage to sin and Satan. He was born into the domain of darkness, as Paul says in Colossians. Also, Satan's ultimate weapon was physical death. Remember, the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus defeated Satan, him who had the power of death. And so Satan had the power of death. And then thirdly, rather than the world being under man's dominion as it should have been, when Satan usurped it, now he controls the world systems. He's called the prince of the power of the air. He is called the ruler of this world. 
So what we have in Genesis 3 is mankind without its rightful inheritance, forfeited because of sin. Satan now claiming man's inheritance, mankind in the world standing in need of a kinsman redeemer, needing someone who is qualified who can come and restore our lost inheritance. That's what we need. Someone who can repossess or redeem our inheritance for us. Now the angel in verse 2 calls out and asks if there's anyone who is worthy to open the book and break its seal. Now what he's asking is, is there anyone out there that can be a kinsman redeemer and redeem this forfeited inheritance of mankind? Is there anyone qualified? Is there anyone who is able to do that? Who is appropriate, who is deserving, who is fitting to open the scroll? Symbolic of redeeming mankind's forfeited inheritance. And look what happens in verse 3. And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. No one in heaven, not the saints, not Moses, not Elijah, not Abraham, none of the saints were able to do it. No one on earth was qualified. No one under the earth was qualified. And then look at verse 4. Then I, who is the I referred to? John. Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. John is crying because he realizes no one is worthy to redeem mankind's lost inheritance. He realizes that mankind, apart from a kinsman redeemer, will be forever doomed in their rebellion against God and in bondage to Satan. Now, wouldn't you you and I also have cried? And this word for weep greatly is the word wailing. I mean, he was going at it. He was feeling the hopelessness of a world apart from God. His tears represent the tears of all God's people through the centuries. The tears of Adam and Eve as they looked at their dead son, Abel, that had been killed by his brother Cain. So they saw death and the effects of the forfeited inheritance for the first time. His tears represent the tears of Israel. The many tears they wept as they were in bondage to Pharaoh in Egypt. The tears of God's people as they've stood beside graves of loved ones. As the wicked world has inflicted pain and disease. And John wept because there was no kinsman redeemer found in all of creation who would be able to deliver mankind's lost inheritance. Mankind was forever doomed. To be in bondage to Satan. So you can understand John's tears, can't you? But then John is told to stop weeping. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping, 
Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book in its seven seals. He says, stop crying, John. There is one who's able to be a kinsman redeemer. There is one who can reclaim our lost inheritance, and only one out of all creation. And he's described first as the lion of the tribe of Judah. And this is a reference to Genesis 49, uh, when Jacob is given a blessing before he dies, and he mentions Judah. And let me read you what he says as he's referring to Judah, beginning in verse 9. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He couches, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion who dares rouse him up. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. So one from the tribe of Judah is the one who's able to be this kinsman redeemer. One from the tribe of Judah who is ruler and king is the one who will able, be able to be the kinsman redeemer. And then look how he is secondly described. The root of David. This is a reference to Isaiah chapter 11. Where again, Jesus is referred to as from the root of David. Isaiah 11.1 1, Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the, wis- the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and strength, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord, and he will not judge by what he sees, nor make a decision by what his ears hear. And then he goes on to say in verse 4, But with righteousness he will judge the poor, and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth, and he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. And so this reference in chapter 5 of Revelation, again, is to the Lord Jesus. So he says, The angel elder says to John, Stop crying, John. There is one who is overcome. Jesus, the lion and the root of David, has already overcome. Notice it's past tense. He has overcome. And the New Testament is clear on this. As I referred to earlier in Hebrews 12, 14, speaking of Jesus, that He through death might render powerless Him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Jesus has overcome the power of death and taken the power of death away from Satan. Colossians 2.15, when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through it, through the cross. He defeated the powers of Satan. And then in John 16, in the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. John makes it clear, Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. He is able to redeem us. He has defeated Satan and sin and death. So that's the sealed scroll. Now let's move to the slain lamb. The elder told John to behold, to look intently 
to gaze upon. And what did John see? Verse 6. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb as if slain having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. John looks, and what does he see? Does he see a majestic king attired in royal garments, seated on a great throne? Who is this kinsman redeemer? This only one in creation who's able to redeem our forfeited inheritance. No, he sees a slain Lamb, the Lamb of God. We must never forget the price Jesus paid to redeem us. Jesus is pictured here as the sacrificial lamb of the Old Testament. There are two words used for lamb in the Greek. One refers to a grown lamb. One refers to a little pet lamb, a little baby lamb. Guess which word is used in this passage? The baby lamb. Because you remember, on the Day of Atonement, it was not just any lamb that would be offered, but it was the firstling of the flock on Passover. And that lamb would have been taken into the bosom of the family for four days. They would get emotionally attached to it. He would get near to their hearts. And then... It would be taken out of the family and it would be violently slain. Its throat would be cut. That's the picture that John has for us. A lamb standing as if slain. You see that word slain? In the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament, this is the same exact word that's used to speak of the sacrifice of the Old Testament lamb. When its throat was cut. This word slain. John is using this word. To let us know beyond a shadow of a doubt. That Jesus represents the sacrificial death. This lamb is the sacrificial lamb of God. Here in the midst of the throne of God. In the midst of the angels. In the midst of the elders. Is this little pet lamb whose throat has been slit. Jesus died as the sacrifice for sins. He took our place on the cross. He who knew no sin was made to become sin on our behalf that we might have the righteousness of God in Him. Oh, what love! Romans 5.8 God demonstrated His own love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. Through his suffering, through his obedience, even unto death, he overcame and conquered Satan. Notice he's described with seven horns. Now, seven in Scripture is the number of completion. How many days in a week? Seven. Notice seven horns. This represents completeness. What do the horns stand for? Scripture, they, it stands for power. Seven horns speaks of His omnipotence. He is all-powerful. Seven eyes 
speaks of his omniscience, as in Scripture speak of knowing. The seven spirits of God speak of the Holy Spirit in his completeness. Don't get confused in thinking there are seven different spirits of God, seven different Holy Spirits. This is just a figurative way of speaking of the Holy Spirit in his completeness. Jesus has redeemed us through his precious blood. He is our kinsman redeemer. Jesus said, I am the life. I am the resurrection, victory over death. Remember, that was one of the forfeited aspects of the inheritance, was death. Jesus said, I am the resurrection. He's defeated death for us. We as Christians will not stay dead. He says, I am the life. He is eternal life. And that was one of the parts that was also, as you remember, forfeited. And He will bring with Him a new heaven and a new earth in which we will reign with Him and our dominion over the world will once again be restored. So you see, all that was lost in man's sin will be restored through Jesus. For He alone is worthy to hold the title deed of the universe to redeem our forfeited inheritance. And He comes up in verse 7. And He came, Jesus... And he took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now what do you think that's symbolic of when he goes up and takes the scroll? That He is redeeming our lost inheritance. That he has accomplished our salvation. Now picture it in your mind. Get this picture. Here John sees this scroll, and John immediately recognizes that it is a forfeited inheritance of mankind. And he hears the angel cry out who's worthy to to open the seal, open this scroll to redeem it, to be the kinsman redeemer. No one is found in all of creation. John starts crying immensely, deeply wailing. And then the elder says, wait a minute, wait a minute, John, there is one who's worthy. And he looks and beholds the slain Lamb of God. And then all of creation, I can't help but believe all of creation waits in anticipation of Jesus coming and taking that scroll, symbolizing the completion of His saving, redemptive work. And look what happens in heaven when He does that. Man, they break out in one hallelujah shouting time. I mean, they go bananas. Look. Verse 8. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the throne, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, and they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to break the book and to take the book and break its seals, for you were slain. And purchase for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you've made them to become a kingdom and priest to our God and they will reign upon the earth. And that's not enough. I mean, the angels want to get in on this. And then I looked in verse 11 and heard the voice of many angels around the throne. And the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was myriad of myriads. And that's numberless, countless is what that word means. Numberless, thousands of thousands, 
saying with a loud voice, they are shouting praises. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. There are seven things composed in that. Power, riches, wisdom, might, honor, glory, blessing. A number of completion. Perfect, complete praise is being offered up. Now, there you have the angels. There you have the elders. There you have the 24 uh, elders around the throne. You have the, the living creatures around the throne. All of them praising. But I tell you, all the creation has to get in on it now. They're so excited. They're seeing all these praise God. They're knowing their inheritance has been redeemed. And so they get in on it. Verse 13. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. Can you see the hallelujah short shouting time that's going on in heaven here? Because of mankind's redemption. These angels didn't need to be redeemed. But they're so excited about our redemption. They're getting in on it. They're praising God having a shouting worship time, and the 24 elders fall down and worship. Is Jesus your Redeemer? He's done everything necessary for you to have your sins forgiven, for you to have a place in heaven for eternity, for you to be in right standing with God. Is He your kinsman Redeemer? Have you surrendered to Him as the Lord of your life and Savior of your soul? Scripture says, All who shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're listening on the internet or on CD or in person, if you've never made that commitment to Christ, today is the day of salvation. I want to encourage you to not put it off one more day. Come to Christ. That concludes our study for tonight.